0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. In this episode, you've got myself, Jason, along with Brian and David. We're not sure where Tommy and Caleb are. They're out doing very important, very manly things, I'm sure. But in this episode, you get a special treat. You get the big three. For those of you who are NBA fans, you know what I'm talking about. But anyways, I'm sure I'm going to get some pushback from Tommy and Caleb on that. But anyways, what we want to do in this episode is talk about some strength. A lot of times you look around at specific circles in Christianity, and you could come away with a perception that it's not a very masculine or strong or manly thing. What we want to talk about is how Christianity is actually a strong man's gospel. And David's going to kick us off with this.
1: I want to start this off with... Psalms 3419, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I think that in Christianity, you'll see more hardship and more affliction as because, and there's also another verse, I think it's in Timothy, which says, you will be persecuted if you're a Christian, right? Right. And then looking at the life of David and and Paul and all these characters, you kind of notice they lived a lot harder life than if they just decided to not follow God, for example. And even you might say David became king, but once he became king, he still, his son decided to try and murder him his entire he had to kill his own son. He had to, there's a ton of problems. He had to lose the kingdom, gain it back. And becoming king, he had to run away and go through a bunch of really bad stuff just to get where he was. And then it just stayed as a difficult life throughout his entire kingmanship. And then you look at Paul, where he lived a super difficult life. And you look at, and look at all these stories and it is true. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So I just kind of want to start off with that. So when you're bringing this up, that doesn't seem like a very
2: optimistic view of why we would follow Jesus. Or appealing. Or appealing. It's probably not good PR. Um, mm. And doesn't it kind of go against the idea that God loves us and his grace and what about our purpose? does this not kind of go against all the other thoughts that we had? And as David was sharing that, I could already hear how I used to look at this going, I don't want that. but I think maybe we've not understood what it actually means and there's there's a empowerment to it and I when you were saying that it was pondering back to when uh, Jesus went back to peter after peter uh betrayed him and he said peter feed my sheep and you know if you love me and there's this conversation going on and then jesus says to peter basically there you're gonna travel for a while you're gonna do the ministry for a while and then they're gonna kill you They're, they're gonna kill you for doing it and that was the prophecy And so I was kind of looking at that dialogue for a moment. I'm like, well, how encouraging is that? When people just say, man, I'm just waiting for a word from God. I I just want a word from God, what to do next. And he says, well, you know, you're going to go and then they're going to kill you. Like that doesn't seem very appealing. But if you understood the character of Peter, if you watch his life, it was the most satisfying thing to him because he loved Jesus and wanted to give his life to him. And so the, the honor of being able to pursue him to the point that people would have to kill him to silence him was actually something that was satisfying to the heart of Peter. I can't I can't prove that, but if I if I look at the things that Peter had said and what he wanted to do and he was the one who took up the sword and was ready to go battle in the garden there is this picture of this and the, the reason I'm bringing that up is when we start discovering who we are, we're going to step into new arenas and venture into new territories, which is the most satisfying thing. And in those places comes resistance. and and it's it's interesting when we even look at the children of Israel when they're leaving uh, in the Exodus, God wanted them to God wanted to take them the short way by the way of the Philistines. But he said, I'm afraid that they will change their mind and wanna go back to Egypt if they see war. And I thought that was an interesting thing is like, okay, so you don't want us to see war. Well, if you follow the whole story, it took 40 years, but eventually they had to go to war. War was gonna be a part of the promise, no matter at what stage. So when we look at this, If we had a different mindset about what was in the promise, was so fulfilling, the cost of it becomes irrelevant, because we're eternal. So again, we kind of look at this day and age when we think of the heroes of old. Why don't we have many heroes today in the Christian faith? Why why don't we have a William Tyndale that he was killed for one reason only— is he printed the Bible for one reason, not because he tried to betray anybody, not because he caused an insurrection, not because he was going to be vocal and he started Twitter followings and started rebuking everybody. No, he simply just printed the Bible so people could read it. And they killed him for it. And I, I'm sitting there looking at the the pioneers of old, there was this cost, but I think we miss something when we don't see that Christianity is tough, but isn't that what we're really wanting? So have we softened it to such a degree that we've actually caused the thing that we're designed to be, to be removed? So therefore you remove the strong man, you remove those that want to be involved. But if it wasn't that way, and this is where it's unfortunate that it's one of the only denominations is the Greek Orthodox church has embraced the strong man. Like There is suffering. There is hard things to do. And again, as people are listening, they're going, they're probably thinking, wait a second. What about grace? What about the love of God? What about his promises? What about him caring for us? What about the things he's given, given to it?" Those are all there, but there should become something where there's a pursuit of Jesus that becomes so much stronger that you're even beyond that point the end result is not to get those things the end result is the relationship you have with god and if you truly love something don't you want to sacrifice for it don't you want to pay a cost for it i mean i think about my kids i would do anything if they needed it it wouldn't matter what the cost was and for me to say well i don't really want to get into that you're on your own sorry bud um That would be an empty feeling, but the whole idea, because I love them, I actually want to pay a cost. So the question is, is it because we're always trying to receive love from Jesus, or is it that we are to love him? And so this becomes, this is something that kind of stirred with, as David was saying that.
0: I think one of the shifts that's happened is instead of our heroes being strong men that conquered and did incredible things we've shifted it to the heroes now are people who are popular and those are very different things popularity has nothing inherently to do with strength it's it's more of a well i don't know if it's more of a feminine trait but i think the pursuit of popularity for its own sake isn't as masculine as it is feminine and people could argue about that and and that's fine that's you know, you don't have a microphone right now. You just have to listen to me. But what's been interesting to kind of see in in our Mission 300 program, and we've talked about this before, but Brian, I'd love for you to go into it again. We've actually found that when we make things harder, people are more invested in it instead of, well, let's soften things up, let's lighten things up, and then we'll get more results or more people. And so if we, if we look at that in different industries or different churches, if we make the gospel, we need to make it lighter, we need to make it more acceptable so we don't drive as many people away. You might attract more people as just numbers on the paper, but what is going to be the quality of those people that you attract if there's not some depth to it? So do you want to go into just briefly the stuff we've seen in the program with that?
2: Yeah, I, I know we mentioned all this stuff a little bit before, but it, it ties in. And before I do that, I just want to—I I do want to clarify—all the promises and the provision and the care and the love and the uh, soulish restoration is all part of Christianity. You, if yeah. you see Jesus, you read through Luke. He's walked about healing, setting people free, walking around healing, setting people free, preaching the good news to those that were oppressed, right? And so there's this element that this is all true statements, but there comes a point where your relationship and you're free, now you want to give of yourself into something else, and that's where the affliction comes. And so... I, I want to clarify that. It's not just I'm going to become a uh, Christian. Now, all of a sudden, my tires are going to go flat. My my dishwasher is going to go out. They're going to kick me out onto the street. People are just not going to like me simply. They're just not going to like me anymore, what, whatever the th- that fear is. It's not because you've just become a Christian. It's because now you're stepping forward with it into new arenas. It's just that there's opposition against it. And so keep in mind, even when you know we we've used and misused the verse that if you give away land houses, families for my name's sake in the gospels in this lifetime, you will receive a hundredfold return. And it's like, wow, so if I give up this, God actually gives me something more and I, I we have seen this like i I, I am amazed we go into up into some village and we're treated like family we're family because of what we believe so even though sometimes it costs you something which is the affliction then there's this gain to it but it says it comes with persecution which i thought it was interesting growing up in some of the circles we were in they never talked about the persecution they just talked about the hundredfold return. He says, with persecution. Why? Because there's an enemy that does not want you to have that. There's an enemy that's always trying to stop you from stepping into your place. But in order to best do that, and we've talked about this many times, we'll probably talk about it a thousand more times before we ever quit doing these podcasts because I think it's just such an important element. Life is not designed to become easier. We just do harder, better. Yeah. And and this is true in anything, even if you're not a believer, you step into any arena and try to press forward. Half are going to love you and half are going to hate you. And so we, we we have to remember this. So it's kind of a principle, but then there's also a deeper truth with it. So back to what we do with our program is to train them how to deal with hard. So in a safe environment where they're loved, they're cared for, we train them to do things hard and not because we just want to, but because we care about them. So to not teach people how to endure hardship is not loving them. And I don't mean learn how to go without food and learn how to, lo- don't add things to it that it's not what it's meaning. It just means learn how to deal with the rejection and the hurt that people are gonna bring you. Learn how to deal with the fact that someone is not gonna want you to move forward. Learn to deal with the fact that your idea is gonna be tried to be taken away. Learn to deal with the fact that sometimes even the people you love the most are gonna be mad at you for a while. We're not being deliberate, you're not being offensive, you're just because you're moving forward. So with our program, we get them to, the harder we make the program, the more value they find in themselves. They're already loved, they're already accepted into the program. Now we make it harder, but the harder we make it, the more they want to do it. And then the harder we make it and they accomplish it, then they go out and help the other people and they become more servants, the harder it is. It's very interesting. The more softer it is, the less serving, the more they just want. The harder we make it, the more they end up wanting to serve other people. So it's a very interesting dynamic and they're more fulfilled.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's kind of a little bit of a will inside of everyone that's like you see a soldier in a movie and they're going through the worst thing ever and people are inspired to wanna be that they watch rocky and they're inspired to wanna be that we see hardship and it it creates inspiration and we kind of i think deep down in everyone we want to be we want to end our life knowing that we I don't know what like knowing that we did the hard we got through this hard thing like like in rocky like in a soldier movie or like in a military movie like there's a reason people want to be soldiers and there's a reason people want to cho- choose being like navy seals which is the hardest to my knowledge the hardest military occupation you can do and like i think the bible is a li- is kind of no different in the difficulty Like, God delivers us, it does say, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. But the way he delivers us isn't always the way we want to be delivered. And like, for example, in Psalms 3, we see a story where David is trapped by a ton of foes and enemies, and they're all rising against him. And then he calms down, and he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. He woke up another day and therefore God's with him. He's still in the same situation, but because he woke up and he survived another day, he's still in the fight. God delivered him out of the affliction.
0: So let me get your guys' thoughts on this then. One thing that I've learned over the last decade is that when you're actually grounded in truth on something, so you have to have the identity, you have to have that truth established. Like you were saying, Brian, the development happens in a, a not overly safe environment, but they are loved, there's grace, Their people are cared for. In that kind of environment, when that foundation is there, then you start to see that resistance actually can be exciting because... It just confirms how strong your foundation is. Like, for example, the last few months um, had some conversations with people after certain Bible studies and um, some people come up with, you know, some difficult questions about the Bible, some really hot button issues, and they're wanting what the Bible says about this thing or this thing. And so I'll walk them through some scriptures on it that are just blatantly true. And a couple of times from different people, I've gotten some pushback from that. Well, sure, the Bible says that, but that doesn't seem very loving. And what that's actually done in me, instead of making me think, oh, no, people are, people are upset that something I said or something the Bible said is unloving, what's going to be the backlash from that? It, it, it doesn't matter because this is the truth, and I know it's the truth. I didn't make up the truth. It's the word of God. And I found that being established in that, I'm okay with resistance, it doesn't mean I go looking for it. It doesn't mean I go be abrasive to generate resistance. But when that resistance inevitably comes, you just realize, oh, these muscles I've been working on, they're actually really strong. And that is a good feeling. Like when you're in the gym and you've been lifting for a while and you you do something and you feel how strong your muscles have become and you can tell it's it's more than it was before, you're stronger than you were before. That's a really good feeling. And I think we miss that a lot of times because to get that feeling, you have to do difficult things. You have to do hard things. And if you tell people they have to do hard things, that's not very nice. It's not very loving. But the gospel is very hard. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It requires strength and adherence to the faith to continue in it. I think we forget how, how difficult of a thing that is at times for people to be a Christian, you have to adhere to the faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you realize the pushback you would get from that if you were honest about it in the world?
2: Well, I'm just even thinking about your plaque that's behind your head there. It says, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, for the Lord God is with you uh, wherever you go. So I want you to just ponder that for a moment is the Bible says to fear not. I forgot how many times. I think it's like three hundred sixty-five times. I can't remember. Someone was saying it's like for it's every day of the week. There, there's not fear not. Uh, be strong and of good courage. Joshua it's, he's told it like three times, and you're like this guy is no coward. This is the guy that came back from the from in the promised land, stood up to the people and said, we can go take this land. Okay, so so he he beat the Amalekites. in the the wilderness, this guy's a soldier, he's a warrior, he's old, he's been around, and God's telling him, be strong and of good courage. Three times. Like, you got to meditate on the word, get your mind focused, be strong and of good courage. And I think the difference is, and I think we mentioned this uh, maybe before, or maybe it was in our group on a couple Sundays ago, is I find it very interesting. In the time where Uh, Joshua was being strong. He went into the the promised land with Caleb. Those two were the only ones who came back with a good report. We could do this. They didn't have to stand up to the people, really. They were just supporting Moses. So Moses had to carry the weight of the responsibility of the decision. They were just supporting Moses. So they were courageous as long as, as they were supporting Moses. They love Moses. They didn't have a consideration of the people. It was about supporting Moses. Now, all of a sudden, and it was about dealing with the enemy. It was about the enemy. Moses had to deal with the people, they just had to deal with the enemy. All right? I, I, I hope you can follow along with, with this thinking. It's so easy. It's easier to go do something like if you work for a company and you step out and try something new when all the weight of how it turns out falls on the owner of the company. You, it's easy to be courageous then and, and you're doing what you're asked to do. So you're asked to go step out and try something. If it doesn't work, it falls on the owner of the company and then you go try again. So hopefully you have a good boss that lets you keep trying that. But now of a sudden, Joshua is in charge of the people. So it wasn't so much be strong and of good courage to deal with the enemy in the land. That was already easy. The enemy was no problem to Joshua. He'd already dealt with them, had victory, knew how to deal with the enemy. The problem was now he had to deal with the people. And it's the people that are supposed to be behind you or that you're leading or you're taking is where your the courage has to be. That's why he said, don't move away from the word of God. Why? The enemy is not going to get him to move away from the word of God. His own people are going to start challenging him why you're doing the things the way you're doing it. And now that is going to be the bigger fight. And I think that's where the courage and the afflictions come. If you look at the story of David that David just got done talking about, it wasn't the enemy that was about ready to persecute David. It was his own people. They wanted to stone him at Ziklag because all the people had been taken. all the Everything they had, their wives, everything had been taken, and now they wanted to stone David. So it wasn't the enemy it was the other people's response to the enemy, which was causing the affliction on David. Now, David had to encourage himself in the Lord, which, and then part of this is what he just read. Am I correct? Is this the story zigzag Ziklag when this is written? Uh, Psalm 3? When Absalom... When he was fle- running away from Absalom. Oh, that's when he was fleeing from Absalom. My mistake. But in the story of Ziklag, he he goes through and had to go through the same thing where his the, his own people wanted to kill him. And he said he encouraged himself in the Lord. All right. So then he rises up. They eventually go and they go get the people. And he stood up. He was strong and courageous and went. And even with Gideon, when he's told to be a strong and courageous man, people, we've talked about this before, people say that he was uh, a coward, that he was far from a coward. G- Gideon was not a coward. He was skilled with the sword. He was not a coward. He didn't know how to stand up to his own family and his own people. He was already breaking the law by going out and, and getting bread. So obviously he didn't what uh, didn't fear the enemy what he feared was his own people because the first thing he had to do was go face them so so when we're looking at this idea of affliction it becomes very important is like a we're not embracing if the more afflicted you are the more christian you are Hmm. that is not a true statement We're not saying that if you're not in hard times and not feeling just the comforts of of God's love and you're just not in paradise, that you're, you're not a Christian. People can take everything too far. We're talking about you discover who you are in God, the grace of God is over you, you understand his opinion of you, and he causes you to rise up. And there is an affliction against that. But the more you become comfortable in that relationship. So if you notice, David had a comfort in knowing God. That's the promise. And then look what he did. If you look at the end of the life, he established a kingdom. Without his kingdom and without his seed, that's who Jesus even identifies to was the seed of David. And you look at that going, wow, this is heroic. But when you look at his life of what he had to face, no one would want that life. Where's the promises of God? Where's the utopia? Where's the smooth brooks and the streams and the green pastures and the restoring of my soul? Where Where is all that? David found all that. David found all of that because he learned he could be, his heart and his relationship were settled. So everything else,
0: became almost irrelevant. So to him, I, go ahead. I think that's one of the craziest things. We need to stop on that for a minute because we we look at the story of David and he was anointed to be the king of Israel above all his brothers. And he was the outcast. He was anointed to be the king. And we picture a guy with a crown and a robe sitting in a castle making decrees. That's not what his life looked like for the vast majority of his journey. There was... War, not just war with the enemy, sometimes war with his own family, his own kids, his own countrymen, his, his his kingdom being torn apart in addition to enemies surrounding him. That's not a very fun thing. It wasn't I'm giving you this life where you can sit in the palace and make decrees and write cool things in cursive on paper and send this out and have people do your bidding for you. It's um, so sometimes you're going to be in a wilderness and sometimes you're going to have to hide in a cave. And sometimes you're going to have to act crazy and drool in your beard and all this part of the journey. And yet, like you were saying, he found strength and comfort in all those things. And again, you've already given the disclaimer of this isn't go and seek out painful things to show how, you know, committed you are to God. That that's absolutely not it. But there's something so deep and true to the fact that in those difficult circumstances, the heart of someone with God you become strong, you become more strong than you were before, and more capable than you were before. And you see, you see things move, and you see things happen, you become a part of it, not just some couch potato sitting there saying, Oh, look at all these things that God does for me. That's my rant.
1: Yeah, I kind of want to add on that with, uh, I think I've already mentioned this verse, maybe once or twice, but in James chapter one, uh, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the power of being steadfast, which only comes from the testing of our faith. And like you said, like don't intentionally seek out making your life harder and stuff like that. But I think instead of making your life harder, you are... In that kind of sense, like like the Stoics do of uh, taking cold showers and eating bland food, so that you become no or like dull to everything, pretty much. I think uh, the best way is to you can start doing starting habits and things that can make your life harder and kind of develop this your own testing of your your own testing on your own by doing these habits, like reading the Bible more, getting fitness. And that's kind of your own way of doing it.
0: Let me bring up this too. As we as I kind of am looking back at this Christianity is a strong man's gospel. When I read that, I don't even take it as you have to be a strong man in order to be a Christian. There's, there's context to that. But what I'm looking at right now is the fact that throughout scripture, when God interacts with someone, when Jesus developed his disciples, when the Holy Spirit came upon people, it was not to take things away from them so they didn't have to bear them. It was to bring power into their lives. God was with Moses to the point he said, Moses, you stretch out your hand and part the sea and tell the children of Israel to walk. Like that, that's what he said. Let me give a couple of quick references on this. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you not when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll take care of things for you. No, he's actually going to bring you power so that you can do things. In First Corinthians, it says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In Acts 6, we see Stephen ble- being full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So, and this is, there's a hundred examples of this. My favorite one is in Luke, where you mentioned um, Peter being the one with the sword at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Je- Uh, when Jesus is being arrested, most people don't realize that Jesus is the one who told Peter to bring that sword in the first place. Most people don't realize it. And it's not as if Jesus didn't know what would happen. He told his disciples blatantly, and it's, it's not some weird translation with context. It's blatantly in the text. If you don't have a sword right now, sell your coat and go buy one. Not as a metaphor because someday you might need it, As in, right now, we're going to do something, and you need to be physically armed. Now, you can say that Peter acted rashly. He shouldn't have done what he did. That's an opinion, and that's not in the text, but it could be correct. The point is, Jesus didn't come to his disciples and say, you guys are weak. Let me take this one. He said, I want to show you guys how to wield power on this earth here and now. Because of that, Christianity does not make weak men. The Spirit makes... Strong men.
1: Yeah, I kind of. Sorry for stealing my dad's thunder because I'm sure he really wants to say this point, but I'm gonna have to beat him to it. Um, uh, the concept of being powerful yet holding it back is the definition of meek. Like the definition of meek is hmm. being very powerful, but not holding. But holding it back kind of a thing like you have a sword but you keep it sheathed right you have the power but you don't use it
0: that is very different from how the word meek has been used or demonstrated or taught to me growing up it was always to be meek means you're timid you're quiet you're soft you don't rock the boat don't do anything someone wouldn't like
2: You know, I kind of want to bring this to a little bit of the listeners, because we've been conditioned a certain way. And I want to put this into a context that this should be an encouragement, not a discouragement. Yes. Because even as we're talking about this, when someone has been strengthened and built up, this kind of is the outcome. And when you discover, for instance, take any promise that God promises and then have a conversation with someone about what you believe about what the Bible says is true. They're going to tell you what everybody else says is true. So we try to make the Bible's truth line up with what everybody else's experience is. You could talk about this. If you believe in healing, tell someone you're going to stand with healing, versus going man's path. They're going to say you're not wise because we know we need to go down this path and that path is laid out by godless men. I'm not saying they're not doing good things. I'm just saying there there the many godless people and atheists run our medical system. I'm not saying there's still not benefit and there's not good. This isn't the conversation. I'm just saying You see a truth that becomes so real to you, and you know God is speaking it to you, and you stand on that truth for whatever the situation is to get out of whatever situation you're in or to overcome whatever situation you're in, you are going to have opposition. And it isn't going to be from the enemy. It's going to be from your own people. And the reason it's from your own people is the enemy of our soul already knows he's defeated. The only way to get you to hold back is to get those that you care about and their viewpoints that you care about to pull you away from that. That is the afflictions of a righteous person. Remember, even even when they said, like, Noah was a righteous man why because he believed what God said so just ponder the whole story of Noah and an ark we would call the guy an idiot why are you building a boat when it hasn't rained and we're not near water and it takes you a hundred whatever some years to build this ark Would we have the endurance today, okay, we don't live that long, but would you have the endurance today if God spoke to you to do something and it was going to take 40 years of your life before you would even see that fulfilled and there would be no evidence that you're doing the right thing for that 40 years? How many people do you know would do that? Not many. Yet, let's put this into a more practical understanding. Wilberforce, by the way, I can't remember his first name, but he's the one who was the first person to get parliament to outlaw slavery in England. 20 years, he had to run for elections, he had to get elected, he had to go sit in parliament, he was sick the whole time. Uh, By the way, I'm not saying sickness is your affliction, I'm saying... In the midst of that, he still kept moving forward with this idea for 20 years with no productivity of it at all. And he kept pushing it and kept pushing it and kept pushing it. Who was against it? His own people. And then it finally broke. So that's the kind of question is, and those are just natural good things. Th- those are right things that we look at as someone as who's heroic that that did something. But when we step back and look at our Christian life, that's what God's put into all of us that in that relationship. And so when we see a promise, we're like, God promises. He promises me a, a restful heart or whatever, the a peaceful heart, a peaceful mind. Well, that means whenever it feels like it's the worst, the promise is there for a peaceful mind. When you feel like everything is against you, the promise is there for a peaceful mind. Guess what? You're going to have to resist everything against that promise. That's the affliction. It's not the restless mind that's the affliction. It's the standing in the promise to see the opposite happening is the affliction. And I think if we can understand, and, and it's so clearly laid out, even when you look at Exodus, the promised land had eight people against the two, or ten people against the two. There was an opposition to what they were saying. They were just agreeing with the promise God had already said. They agreed with the promise that God had said. I want you to get catch this. He, they agreed... With the promise that God said, and what happened? They wanted to kill him. How many prophets were killed? I mean, if you look at a prophet's life in the Old Testament, that would not be the career of choice of most people. But they were fulfilled in it. And I, again, we're not looking at like how can we make our life miserable. If you just look at it on the simple point, the moment you believe a promise, affliction is going to come. And we can see this in... Mark 4, uh, 13 through 20. And he was talking about the parable of sower sowing the word. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So this parable is the baseline of all the parables. So the kingdom of God in the essence is this. One of the most powerful ideas is right here. The sower sows the word. So what is the word, the promise, the commitment, the value system, who Jesus is? And these are the ones by the wayside where the seed is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time." afterward, when problems, tribulations, or persecution arises for the word's sake. So why is there afflictions? Because of the word in you. It's really not about you. It's about the word that's in you. And I think if we can really catch that the moment we keep taking his word and making it a part of our life there's going to be something that's trying to come against that word because if we believe that word we change and if we change our sur- our surroundings change and if our surroundings change other people get to change there's this snowball effect but immediately they st- but afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they stumble now these are the ones sown among thorns they are the ones who hear the word And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30, 60, and some 100. And in, uh, I think it's Luke, with persecution this is a strong man's gospel getting to that look at the things that take away the word so everything is about the word everything is about the promise everything is about who jesus is that's why it's a strong man's gospel and when i say strong man i don't mean it's not strong lady gospel too i'm talking about it's a strong man's gospel because when there's strong men there's also strong families and there's strong women and there's strong children it's a a snowball effect But the strength of it is that that's why we need to know God's with us. Fear not. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Why? Because we're going to hold the word. Why? Because everything is about
0: taking that word away and that promise away. I think that is a very good picture of what we're talking about when we talk about strength. And especially as it relates to our world today, you see fewer and fewer strong people that are willing to say, this is the word of God and resist all the pushback from the world or from fellow believers who have a different agenda or a different opinion on things. That might be the most lacking area of strength for for many Christians or circles of Christianity because it's so much more of a reaction for people to, well, if I get too much pushback on this, then I should pull back a bit. I shouldn't push this too far because of the pushback I might get from the world or for from my fellow Christians. I shouldn't really bring this up because of the pushback I might get. That's really one of the biggest, if not the biggest driver of just calm down. Don't talk about it. Don't stand on the word of God. Or if you do, do it yourself, but don't be so public about it.
2: I'm not really I don't think this really applies to people that learn something and then they just want to go tell everybody about it and then they're mad that they didn't accept it. And we become agreed. Yeah, that that's ideological. And I don't think it helps anybody, but I'm talking about you're living this thing and they're asking you, how are you living this? And you tell them that and now it goes against the grain. Right? Because Joshua was in the promised land. He saw it. He saw they could take the giants. He saw they could take the city. He was just telling them, this is what I believe about it. We can do this. Different than, oh, I learned some really cool truths. And I think everybody should have this. So I start a podcast and try to convince everybody to believe what I'm actually trying to say. And I haven't ever lived it out. Now I'm mad that they're having negative repercussions over the cliches that I'm telling them. But part of that is you don't have any root within yourself because there's no evidence in you because you wouldn't feel like you have to make everybody believe what you're saying. Jesus never tried to make people believe. In fact, he talked in parables, so some of them couldn't believe. And those that had ears to hear, let them hear. There's a difference. So it doesn't And he also... told some people, hey,
0: don't go tell anyone about this.
2: There you go. So so being strong is you, you're still holding that word, and you know when to speak and when not to speak. You, so I, I want to put it, it's not so much about speaking, because sometimes people say, wow, I just learned this great stuff. I want to go tell everybody. Well, how about you first? do it and that's that's a very important point because do it?
0: <laughs> yeah and and sometimes we we confuse speaking for strength and they're not the same thing you can speak in strength or from strength but the fact that you're out there saying things does not mean you're strong it might mean you're annoying and obnoxious it could be that's it, that's it gonna be, be my final thoughts
2: so david you being younger you got you being the youngest person on the podcast Uh, not dealing with a lot of baggage of life, which a lot of us are trying to often undo how we used to think, and then we're trying to change. And so a lot of it's the journey of letting go old thoughts that we shouldn't, that are holding us back and trying to grab onto new ones. And you've talked about already on when it comes to like habits and some of the disciplines that you've taken on. Why does it cause you to come alive to push yourself
1: when you don't have to. No one's making you do that. Why does that make you come alive? David Goggins especially is a big motivator for this drive that I'm talking about where he wanted to join Navy SEALs and he was 100 pounds overweight and he had to lose 100 pounds in three months. And so he went out and he got the drive to do that so he could be a Navy SEAL and learning how to get that drive and pushing yourself at that drive just pushing yourself more and more getting a drive towards something i think that's a really powerful thing or one quick question to you david before we wrap up how do you
2: separate just that drive that you want to be something versus the drive that god's in you and you're doing something for someone bigger for something bigger How do you distinguish the two things?
1: Well, I mean, I kind of see it as once I get to heaven, I'm going to look down and I'll be able to ask the question, did I do the best as I could? And I'll know the answer. I feel like this isn't biblical or anything, but this is just kind of how I see it. I see myself getting to heaven and looking down being like, Did I do the best I could? (laughs) And I think, wow, I did not do anywhere close. That's going to be kind of a fail. (laughs) I failed life pretty much. (laughs) Maybe. That's kind of how I think about it. So then God won't love you the same? No, I'll just be disappointed.
2: You downgraded to a lesser heaven.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: So knowing David and his his thinking, I, I think it's just because he's not going to necessarily articulate this. He loves God. He knows he's loved. But it's to me observing him, it's almost like, well, if God loves me and he's given me all these skills and this ability and this mind and this body, why not work it as hard as I can healthily to see what we're capable of? So it's coming from a place of victory already, not a place of, if I do this, God will love me. If I do this, then God will do these things for me.
0: And it's not that. it's, It's not that. I think there's something that's innate in people when they're young, that when they're given a gift, they naturally want to see the limits and how far they can do it. Got three small boys and a daughter as well. And when the boys got some remote controlled cars um, around Christmas time, they didn't keep them in the box and say, well, this is cool. They got them out and they're like, let's see if we can smash them into stuff as fast as they can go and see if they'll break or not. they weren't trying to be destructive. And it, it was, I could tell the difference between, okay, this kid over here, someone else's kid is just destructive versus what my boys were doing which was testing the limits of their awesome new gift because they were so excited and they wanted to see what it could do. Now, years later, if I come along or through their development, if I come along and kind of push down on that excitement and that curiosity, then at some point they'll get to this stage where it's just they receive a gift and they don't really do too much with it because they don't want to, you know, last time I bumped the chair and I got yelled at. And so I don't want to do that again. And there's all these these negative things that hamper down their excitement and their creativity. And I think sometimes we can get into that to where we, one, some people don't understand the incredible identity that we've been given. And some people that maybe did at one point have had so much beaten down into their minds that they're too afraid to, to step into it again. But I think when you realize initially I've been given this amazing gift I'm in in whatever area there is something inside you that wants to push the limits of it and see what you can do with it I think a lot of times something has to come in to push that down to suppress it so and Brian you clearly haven't done a good enough job of suppressing David mentally and emotionally because he still wants to push the limits of his mind and his body I have tried to soften him and it
2: has backfired (laughs) Um let me just let me just leave the listener with this because I again I, w- I want to leave you encouraged, not like oh <laughs> great. I'm
0: being so negative.
2: It, here's the thing is that we you've been given something amazing in Jesus, the most powerful gift ever. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit. And rather than trying to say what you're supposed to be doing with it it's about allowing yourself to keep growing and if you look at a seed and you're growing you have to deal with the dirt you have to deal with the rocks you have to deal with the heat you have to deal with the flooding you have to deal with the wind and it makes us stronger and that growth is doing that and I want people to have the permission to continue to grow and I want them just to be aware that there's things against your growth and it's okay Just take the promise, and we need more people that will take God's promises and hold them and and war with them and let them grow deep in us, because that is the fruit trees that the other people are actually needing. That is why we're inspired by those that overcome. By the way, we're not inspired by those that get destroyed. We're inspired by those who overcome. Even if they die in the process, there's still an overcoming. And We're inspired by that because it's in us to do that. And I'm sorry that we live in a fallen world that there's so much resistance, but let's just maybe not look at it from that perspective. Let's just look at it as maybe the enemy's overplayed his hand that his resistance against us can actually make us better.
1: I want to just quick say, if all this kind of sounds like, oh, I don't want that. I want to retire at 40 and live a super super nice and relaxing life. I'm just going to say that once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good as 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 says, you know that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good once you long for spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. And that's how you know you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So if this idea of a difficult life we're going to have to go through a lot, but you're going to be doing it for God, if that doesn't seem appealing, I kind of just kind of see it a little bit. This is going to sound really controversial and really mean to a lot of people, but uh, I'm the youngest on the podcast and I don't have to deal with the banter that comes after. So uh, that means you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good if you don't want any of this and but once you have tasted in saint lord is good
0: i think it will explode in you we appreciate you guys tuning in hopefully you got something out of this episode until next time keep the faith and stay in the fight